Alright everyone, welcome back to Noisy Fulfillment, a Desperate Housewives rewatch podcast where we take you back in time, episode by episode, of ABC's Desperate Housewives. This week we are breaking down Season 1, Episode 3, Pretty, pretty, uh, pretty Little Picture. I was going to say Pretty Little Liars. I actually wrote it as Pretty Little Liars. But there's a ton of Pretty Little Liars um, connections here, so it makes perfect sense. Um, written by Oliver Goldstick and directed by Arlene Sanford, and it makes perfect sense because Oliver Goldstick and Arlene Sanford both uh, wrote and directed for Pretty Little Liars. Oliver Goldstick also did Ugly Betty, Lipstick Jungle, Caroline in the City, American Dreams, and Arlene Sanford also directed Allie McBeal, Boston Legal, Pretty Little Liars, Grace and Frankie. Um, so it, it just seems like I have a type here of, of writers and directors that I enjoy because they, they all seem to like inhabit the same like sphere of, of television. Um, I have a of silence for Ugly Betty because Aww. I loved that show. And I forgot all about it until I saw that in your notes. Like, oh, so Ugly Betty. And I forget, like, I don't forget about America Ferreira, though. I never forget about her. We just forget about some of the projects they do. And I, I, I am, my husband calls me the patron, patron saint of things that get canceled or are terrible. Um, and one of them would have been, he would absolutely say, only you are sad about American Dreams. And if you've never seen American Dreams, Brittany Snow, who of uh, Pitch Perfect fame and John Tucker Must Die fame, um, it's like a project that people don't think about her as has having done, but I absolutely loved it, and it, it took it, it occupied the same space um, as uh, Desperate Housewives. Just didn't get off, you know. It had like three seasons, I think, and and I'm the only one who misses it. I feel like so. Add to list of things to watch. Yay! I'm so glad. And again, there there are these things that it, that that's going to be in my my check in here in a, in a few minutes. Um, the, the, the patron state of shows that were lost to 2004 or a writer strike or, you know, just insert reason for something to go wrong here in the middle of a pandemic, right? Um, so I'm Rachel Warren and like Brie in this episode, I am the most afraid of the feeling of a blind side. So if we were putting this down into where where is the fear for you? Because Brie, it's kind of this this episode kind of centers around Brie and her fear that her life is unraveling. Um, Susan afraid that somebody's going to see her naked outside of her house, which is an iconic position for this episode. But I, I'm afraid of the feeling you get when you're blindsided, that discomfort, because I spend so much time preparing for events, making sure all these boxes are checked and things are crossed off my list, that I go absolutely deer in the headlights. When somebody just mentions something in passing, because they're positive, I will have, you know, I've already taken care of that. Like, I'm still behind on my emails, you know, I still need to get this, you know, this compliance thing done, and I will just look at them for a cold second and have no idea what they're talking about. And I'm not even really sad or feeling discomfort about, oh yeah, I need to get that done. It's that I have no idea what you're talking about. So the the blind side. And so I, I so I so see that in Brie in this episode. And I am joined today by my uh, my amazing co-host, Amanda. Amanda, what is the thing for you in the fear? The thing in the fear? Um, I think that my biggest fear, I have a little bit of imposter syndrome when it comes yeah. to certain things. And um, I always have the fear that somebody's going to like expose, like you're not, you're not, you know, that knowledgeable about this, or you don't have the, you don't have the experience to back up 
this thing that you're doing. And right. I, I always feel like I want to like, like slide into the woodwork and just do what I do without getting noticed because I'm afraid there's going to be somebody who's like, she's, she doesn't know what she's doing. Get her out of here. So I just like to, I just like to like hide in the woodwork and do what I do. Which is so ridiculous to me, having worked with you for a few years, just knowing how knowledgeable you are on so many different things, including Desperate Housewives, um, that it, it would never even occur to me that you had those same fears. And, and yeah. so, again, just how appropriate, right, that we're, we're picking up on this uh, during a time that Brie really is, is, is dealing with those things, too. Yeah, she's struggling. So, um... I was really intrigued. I, I have my, I have a question for this. Yay. Question. What's up? Okay. So, um, at the beginning of the episode, it shows Mary Alice, um, going into the, like, she's going through the process of being cremated and mm-hmm. she's in the voiceover. And she says, when moving through eternity, it helps to travel light. And she chooses to hold on to her memory. And I Correct. was thinking about that, like, when I was growing up, we lived in, we lived on a canyon in San Diego and inevitably every summer the canyon would catch fire at least three times. And my mom would always come mm. in panic and be like, have your thing under your bed that you're going to take with you if we have to evacuate in the night. And luckily, like we only had to evacuate one oh. time, but, um, I just always remember like having to think about like, what's that one thing I'm going to take with me if I have to only pick one thing what's your what's your one thing and it's not a person like obviously like your kid and your your partner and your animals and every like all the people are safe but like what would be the thing that you take with you that was a way better frame question amanda that was a way better frame question i think than the fear yeah that's a good that's a good one and i can't wait to hear what yours is um but you're right my kid would be safe my my things would be safe um I, for someone who has so much stuff, we've talked about that before, for someone who has so much stuff, I cannot think about what it would be unless it would be, like, the blanket that I sleep with on the couch and I, you know, that I carry with, like, a blankie um, throughout my house is that that's my blanket and no one else gets to use that blanket. And I think that, that it's a good grounding item, right? It's the, the tactile that you remember, so it would probably be a blanket even... At, you know, in my fourth decade here on the planet, I would I would be make sure that my blanket was ready to go. So I can't wait to hear what was your thing and did it change? Yeah, it well, it did. And that's so funny. Like, my mom is super, super, super creative. Like, she's the person that I got my needing to craft all the things from. Yay. And at first, I was thinking about this thing that she made me last year. Um, I really love Vincent Van Gogh, and she made me this representation of the Starry Night. But then when you said your blanket, I was like, okay, like I still have the blanket, the quilt that my mom made me when I went away from my freshman year of college. And she like bought all the fabric and like made me one, and then made my best friend from high school the reverse. Oh my gosh! It was the same fabric, and it was the same pattern, but it was like, like the the dominant pattern was flip flopped. And I, I literally still have that blanket. And, like, you made me think of that with your mention of your blanket. And I I would probably be hard-pressed to not grab that blanket on my way out the door because it's just traveled with me, like, my whole entire adult life. And it's my it's my mom, you know? 
I love that. I love that. I, 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 I can picture what you're saying that if the dominant pattern is this, then in my friend's blanket, it would be this. I can absolutely feel that. And then, you know, deep dive on this. I uh, can't wait for everyone to, you know, everyone to listen to this and think about, wow, that seems insignificant or they would have done the same thing. I am not an animal person as has frequent, has been established already. Um, but when I first lived with my, um, my, husband my uh, we were uh, we were engaged and another couple was engaged and we lived with them and I know it was it was nuts um because we needed we both needed to save money for a wedding um and uh, I I had a blanket even then there was a blanket that I always had and I was bringing it to his house and I had to live there for a little while uh before we moved out and got our own house um and it was my favorite blanket and I got home one day and they had given it to no. their dog no. and their dog was laying on it and I could never, I, people out there are going to say, you could wash the dang blanket, Rachel, but it's never going to be mine again, honestly. Uh, it was my favorite blanket. It probably cost $30 at Target, uh, but at the time, that was a big deal. It was a first year teacher to pay $30 for a blanket. Um, yeah, so it was a bummer, but thanks for... Thanks for that. I needed that, Amanda. I needed to get that out of my system because I could never complain about it for years because those people were all in my family still. Well, this podcast is nothing if not a therapy session. Yes! No, I feel that way. And we'll talk a lot about therapy in this one, or at least I have a lot of notes, right? Um, so we open with, the, uh, you're right, with uh, Mary Alice talking about, yeah, memories are the only thing that she brings with her and what she most remembers about Brie is the look of fear in her eyes. Brie had started to realize that her world was unraveling, and for a woman who despised loose ends, that was unacceptable. And we find that Rex has been apparently sleeping on the couch, and yes, and Brie has having it. She's creatively problem solving how she's going to change that. Absolutely, the Brie's apparently been sabotaging the pullout couch to make sure that Rex gets a terrible night's sleep, which would force him back upstairs with her. And I, I'm there for it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I love that. She just has her wire cutters and just, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like it probably wouldn't really work as well as an undercover thing in practice if you had the prongs sticking up. I almost feel like you'd have to bend them down a little bit so they're uncomfortable, but not like all the way stabbing into the mattress. I don't know. But I, I, I like her creativity. And this is, might be a gendered conversation. This is where we have that idea that we're going to bring our husbands on for a particularly male-centric episode at some point and see what that male perspective is. But for me, when I feel that something is hurting in the same place, I would have moved the mattress at some point to figure out what it was and see if I could fix it. But I don't know if that's a particularly gendered take on that or if, 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 another person, if a man would have done it that way as well. I have no idea. So... I mean, it's just this one place that you're hurting, right? So I, I would have, I would have expected, but maybe she's done it in multiple places. So. I don't know. Plot, maybe it's a plot hole. Maybe, maybe if we had written it, we would have shown it in more places. And maybe that is a perspective about making sure that you have enough female representation in the writers' room about a show that is consume is particularly feminized. But nonetheless, we trudge forward, right? Um, and, and we get back from the, we get back from the title and, uh, Susan is the first to discover apparently, but then it seems like everybody looked at the date almost at the same time that there's a, that, that today is the, 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 that this week, right, will be when we should have had 
Mary Alice's dinner party, but obviously Mary Alice isn't around to be throwing her a dinner party. Um, I love how they show Susan walking up to a house, and we immediately know it's the Scavos because there's literally all of FAO Schwartz <laughs> on their front porch. Like, yes. They make, they make Lynette look like she's just a mess. I don't know. Yes, there's a there's a particular aesthetic that they're going for, and it's like harried and and yeah. can't get anything together. And um, then we have all four of them being together. And I had to admit that um, when Bree said I'll make uh, braised lamb shanks, that I had no idea what braised lamb shanks were. I googled it, and um, then I went to the Pinterest. And, I mean, it just Ooh. seems like meat, and I'm just not, I, I'm, a, I'm not anti-meat, but cooking for the last year, I feel like meat grosses me out now. Okay, okay. I'm not a huge lamb person, but um, did have some really delicious lamb at an Indian restaurant in Washington, D.C. one time, so I don't choose well, to order it anywhere else, but. And cook it, right? That might be part of it, is that if somebody else is cooking it, if Bree's cooking it, I bet it's going to be amazing, and I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be worthy of her cuisine, um, much like her children. <laughs> um, we go to Carlos and Gabby, and Car uh, Carlos and Gabby are fighting as usual about his lack of be uh, his lack of being present, even when he's present. And he tells her she needs to find a way to relax. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then it gets weird with her just calling up her her boy toy, and I'm trying to picture. Even now in my classroom, a kid does not answer their phone. But like right. this came out, like what kid is in a high school class and just answers their cell phone for a booty call in the middle of know, what was he in algebra or bio? He was in biology, right? Because then she made some joke about you can come and show me what you learned or whatever. When he when he shows up and yeah. the, during the phone call, super gross that he says, "Do you want me to keep my gym clothes on like last yeah. time?" I'm like. What what is happening? Yeah, it's like the it's like the modern version of like the French maid costume. Wow, I did not. I that was that is so appropriate. And now, that, way to go, Amanda. Didn't see that one coming. Justify a little bit more, Gabby. <sighs> Delighted we got through that. Um, Lynette wants to go to the dinner party, right? Uh, Lynette asks Tom to go to the dinner party, and he said, you know, do you remember what it was like to work a 60-hour week? Too much, I just want to, I just want to throttle him, because when he's gone for seven nights out of town, she works 168 dang hours alone. Yeah. So, yeah, she knows what a 60-hour work week is like. Yeah, that was... That was just wild. His, his, the way that they have his character expressing his view on how the world works in his home is just delightful. Yes. And a caricature in and of itself, I, you know, it, it's hard here in episode three to know, to, you know, to be there and, and know that there will be character growth. I'm not spoiling it for you or for anybody else. There will be character growth, but man, do you have to get, do you have to wade through some crap? To well, get to the other side. Ugh, yeah, it's bad. It's bad. 
meanwhile, uh, Rex, you know, Rex and Bree have been doing the have have decided to go to counseling, somewhat reluctantly on Rex's part, I, I would say. But um, they have to have a they have to have a reason that they're missing things and that he's leaving the office. Uh, and so she comes up with tennis lessons. And Rex said, you know, so in these tennis lessons, how are we doing? And Bree said, my backhand is improving immensely, but you're still having problems with your serve. And Rex says, of course, so, certainly. Anything to emasculate him, she takes it. I probably would have made up something that we're both good at and something we're both bad at. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I understand why that's not a thing for Brie. Right, right. Interesting. Where would you, because there's always places that we don't want to say we went or that we're going, you know, even living a pretty open book life. There are some places that I'm like, you know, I'm not going to advertise that that I went there or something like that. I'm trying to think of where I would say I was if I didn't want to admit that my husband and I were doing marriage counseling. And I got to say, tennis lessons is right up there. Yeah. Do you know, I totally relate to this, actually. I was married before my Mm -hmm. current marriage. and. Mm -hmm. There was a point that going to counseling was discussed in my previous marriage and my partner at the time didn't want to, um, didn't think that we could schedule it because he wasn't sure what he would tell his boss Mm. every week when we, when he had to leave at the same time for something. So I get it. Like, yeah, I, I understand the need to come up with something because it is hard to tell people that you're going to marriage counseling. It's hard to admit that that things aren't great, but um, I'm trying to think of where I would say we were going. I mean, it would have to be some sort of lesson, like some sort of recurring thing. I mean, if my husband wasn't my current husband, golf lessons probably, but that would fly. Um, I also like that. I also like that. These sports lessons, it's okay if we said if we said tennis lessons, if we said golf lessons. But if we both decided to take up the clarinet in our forties, maybe not. Right. right <laughs> What's viable right. here? Like a pottery class. We're, we're going to we're going to throw pottery on a wheel. Okay. Somehow, I think that would fly too. I don't. Maybe it's just music lessons that would work. I don't. I just think about lessons. But yeah. Um, well, you brought up a good point, and I, I think I'll touch on this uh, later on. That was in my notes too. Um, but the, the idea of that, that therapy was still so stigmatized, I think we've come a long way since 2004 in terms of that. And I actually have it written in my notes, a couple of the, the interactions they have with their therapist. I can't wait to talk about, um, like ask my therapist if this is really a thing, if this is, and of course I didn't because my therapy sessions are taken up with everything else I want to talk about, but I added it to my, I added it to my journal and. This is literally my therapy journal right there. I'm, and oh. I, I'm doing my best to destigmatize um, therapy and, and counseling for, for anybody out there. Mm. I love it. I have a good friend who's in a really great marriage and they go, they go to therapy and it's, I think that's the coolest thing because the way you stay in a great relationship is by doing the work, you know? And even, even on yourself, the, right. the work, the work on myself. And so, it doesn't have to be wrong to, to go and talk to somebody and process it. Like it's all, it's like watering your garden. You don't just wait to water your garden until your plants are dead. You like water your garden all the time to keep your plants 
growing and thriving. That was the most beautiful analogy for that, Amanda. And if Brie had had you in her life, a woman who definitely waters her plants, she (laughs) would completely, I I really think you could have gotten through to her. My goodness. I don't know if anybody can get through to Brie at this point, but I appreciate you saying that. When we see Carl Meyer... This is the the first. This is our first time looking at Carl, right? Um, yes. And his sweet little girlfriend. Wow. Oh gosh. That was a really great way for her to make friends. Definitely. You show up. You know, your ex husband shows up uh, to pick up your daughter for the weekend with his girlfriend, who's maybe half of his age. I'm not. I'm not even age shaming. But but you came here to and and you tell me about your new cabin. Um, you can afford a cabin. Escrow just closed, but I don't have my check for child support. Right. Checks in the mail. I love how Susan opens the mailbox. Yes. No, it's not. Oh, literally, it's not. Oh. Um, so the can kicking, right? Yeah. That uh, that uh, Brandy, the girlfriend, th- uh, you know, tries to toss a can into the garbage, and it doesn't make it there, and then it's just sitting there. And yeah, Susan is closer to it, but she says, you know, Brandy, you mind? And Brandy doesn't mind. She's happy to go get it, but it turns into this thing. Big thing. And why did she get out of the car in the first place? Like, stay in the car. Getting See, out of the car, like, are you there for a confrontation? Like, what? I don't know. We would all have already gone to therapy in my family about this. That if you, if my husband had decided to leave me for someone, I would have had to find a way to contextualize it to my child, and I would have worked through. We would have worked through how close you're allowed to get within, you know, this many yards of me and your girlfriend, probably half as many yards. Right. There, there would have been so much, but. I, you know, I love it that there's this the, this confrontation with the can, and that that the the part about me is that I am so I'm so clumsy that you know I'm not coordinated. I would have missed Carl when I kicked it back at him, and it would have been like even more embarrassing for me. So, what would you do with the kick the can nonsense? I would have probably said something real crappy. Um, but still picked it up myself and then gone inside and been mad and put on my shoes and got for a run or poured a big glass of wine. But that's, that's me. I don't know. I might've shamed her for the, I love myself a good can of Coca-Cola, but I might've shamed her for, Oh gee, must be how interesting that you don't take your health very seriously or your dental care very seriously. You're going to put this awful toxin into your body, which is such a hypocritical thing for me to say. (laughs) I would have said something like, are you freaking kidding me? And like giving her the hands, like, like what I do to somebody in the parking lot who of a grocery store who just like puts their cart on the median. Yes. Like I would have given her the teacher eye and I, I would have said something and then stomped off. I would, for I would shame. I would have been a jerk. Yes. And I, I think, think I would have been too. Probably in that moment, I think the way I would have responded wouldn't have made her see the error of her ways. It would have made her go, wow, your ex-wife's a real piece of work. You know what I mean? No wonder you left her for me. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. And uh, the things that I would think in the moment as opposed to like how I wish I would have acted in the past are, are likely to not be congruent. So that. That, that's on me. But I mean, how like how much further are you going to push a human? Your ex shows up in a sports car with his, you know, sweet little young yes. girlfriend. 
who gets out of the car and throws something on, on your property that you're struggling to pay for because he doesn't pay child support and they're taking your kid and going off to a cat. Like how, like what more are you going to put on Susan and not expect her to snap? For sure. And the fact that you shame yourself later for like, you know, acting crappy about it. Well, it was a crappy situation. And I responded in crappy kind, right? Right. right. Oh, well, from the lighter to the darker, I would say, over at the Young House, um, this would this would be really, really challenging for me as a child, and I, I don't know how I would have handled it. I had a parent who passed away when I was a child, and I would not have understood this, and so I, I get it for Zach. Uh, Zach discovers that his mom doesn't have an obituary. His dad didn't bother to do one. Yeah, and he's, the dad's kind of angry instead of like, instead of understanding that his kid needs to process it he's kind of like well you know you can decide on mine later if you outlive me and it it sounded kind of threatening when he definitely I thought that was super weird you got to feel for Zach in all of this that is Paul Young antagonist check-in today um Mm -hmm. just very villainy I I agree and I worry about him being in that home with him and everybody would have been looking for that obituary it wouldn't have been the it would not have been the first I I would assume that Zach is not the first person to notice this and that if Paul doesn't want to have to you know give the same delightful spiel five times you you would have think you would have thought that that would have happened or that one of the girls would have insisted it's very very tough very tough, very tough scene there. Yeah. Actually kind of surprising that like Brie didn't just take it over. And do it. Oh yeah. Along with her basket of goodies that she needed back. She's like, Hey, I'll take that basket back. By the way, I put the obituary in the paper for you. And I got everything right as usual. As usual. <laughs> um, during the tryst, Gabrielle, uh, Gabrielle and John, are spotted by a neighboring child. I told you those damn windows and doors needed to be covered. Yeah, get some curtains. And that neighbor child, that little Ashley, they just make her as creepy as you can possibly make a living human child. <laughs> so they did it up. That this would be a child that you know Gabby would have a really hard time connecting with. Right. I mean, you're ab- absolutely right. They they knew what they were they knew what they were getting at. Uh, again, why these people don't close their damn window shades. Yeah. Yeah. Gabby, for, for somebody who seems super, super afraid to get caught, she really is not taking care of the details. I mean, he's already back at her house. Like, the the, the last episode we had, she started going over to his yeah. room at his parents' house to continue their liaison. With her scarf and her convertible. <laughs> very inconspicuous. No kidding. Um, and now we're back at her house. Again, I have to imagine she doesn't clean her own house. I know she doesn't clean her own house. Um, so Did the episode start with the, um, with her maid pouring her coffee? Because she was looking perfect. at her. So, like, where is this maid now? Like, she must not be there all day. But she was in a uniform like she was there all day. Right. I, 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 I agree. And so, you're right. For somebody who doesn't want to get caught, man, you take a lot of risks. A lot of risks. So, you know, Tom didn't want to do the dinner party over at, um, uh, at Bree's house because he's been working, he's been working so hard. He travels all the time. And now we learn that maybe travel isn't quite as exhausting as he might've had us believe. 
Yeah. He, uh, Lynette finds the picture with the, the big sombreros, mm-hmm. um, obviously having some margaritas somewhere and basically realizes that her husband, when he goes and travels, he's like a traveling frat party. Absolutely. And she's already called off the babysitter. She had a babysitter already ready to go. And he's like, oh, I'm just too tired. I can't do it. And you know, she's like, forget it. I, you're right. I already canceled the babysitter. So it looks like you are going to babysit the, the kids that day. I will say I have issue with anybody saying that they have to babysit their own kid. Right. Yes. Agreed. Struggle with that. And I, I definitely think that there wasn't enough female representation in the writer's room when that line was cut. Yes. And I would just like to say that um, the fact that they made a big deal, Mary Alice made a big deal about they've never done this a dinner party like this altogether. I have a hard time believing that with how me too. Seems, but that that being said, I um, I feel like I would have a really hard time. Like when we had, we used to have a neighborhood progressive dinner every winter, oh. and it doesn't matter how tired you are. That's not like you're just getting together with your friends that you see all the time. Like, that's an event. It doesn't matter how tired you are. You suck it up and you go for at least some of it. Like, it's one thing if you say, like, oh, well, you know, we'll go for a while and then we'll leave early. But for Tom to be like, no, let's rent a movie, which that ate, you know. Yes. So in and of itself. But for him to say, like, oh, let's rent a movie and stay in. No. Like, that. you don't miss big events like that. You at least just go show your face. So I'm delighted that she's going by herself. Yes. Yeah. I'm delighted she's going to go by herself. I'm glad that she's sending. She's like, no, nope, I'm going. See ya. I'm delighted that he's staying home with his kids. I love that he says, yeah, big deal. How hard can it be? Not at all, right? We're gonna. It's going to be perfectly fine. Um, we see that Carlos meets Ashley, the neighbor who saw uh, Gabrielle in an uncom- in a compromising position. Yeah, yeah, and the mom, that was kind of a weird interaction in the front yard. And he did something when the mom's like, well, she doesn't say a whole lot, and he reaches down and says, well, you can see her little mind is going, and, like, puts his hand on her head and puts his thumb on her forehead. I was like, you don't touch a kid. You don't know. Like, what are you doing? That It just was weird. And, I, you know, I, I bring a gender different, I, I bring a gender lens to this too. Would he have touched the, the kid in the same way if it wasn't a female child? I think this no. really leads to an expression of how, um, you know, the women's bodies are just public spheres and it, it doesn't matter that they're miniature women. It's whatever. And that, and that really, again, I'd have to see him interact with a, a male child to, to have a have a frame of reference, but it, it truly does. And Gabrielle, just genuine fear, right? Yeah. Just absolutely, genuinely fearful of what this what, what's going on in her little mind. A hundred percent. Um, back to mystery watch over at the Young's house in the garage. Zach finds the gun his mother used to commit suicide. Yep, that was a little bit. Now I I can't picture the trauma that that would be for you as a as a kid who finds that. I don't know. Like you're already traumatized by your mom's death, and then you find the gun. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. It leads me to lots of questions about the cleanup of Mary Alice's body, the the finding of the gun. Wouldn't the the police just give you back the gun? I guess that's a question I need to ask my brother-in-law's police officer. Like, wouldn't you take it and make sure? I mean, I don't know what the recovery is of that. 
that's surprising to me that they just have that in there. Um, and he'll ask about it later, um, and Paul will say, yeah, well, we might need it. For protection. Great. Bad things are, you know, bad th- things just keep continuing to, to show up on Zach's doorstep, including his father. Uh, back in Dr. Goldfein's office, the therapist that Rex and, and Brie are seeing, Rex and Dr. Goldfein um, discuss that they would like individual sessions, and Brie says, Get, why? You know, I have to be here so that we can't have couples counseling if I'm here by myself and he's here by himself. Can't do it. Yeah. And then what does she, what does she tell the doctor to like take a moral hard line on, on prostitution and porn? And then she storms out with her tennis <sighs> racket. Yes. <laughs> well, if anybody sees her, she has to be able to really continue the alibi that they were at tennis lessons. But yes, Bree's line. Kind of this office. Like, come on, Bree. Yeah, uh, Bree's line that if, uh, you know, Dr. Goldfein, if anything he says relates to adultery, prostitution, or internet pornography, I would really appreciate you taking a moral hard line. And she was succinct and the smile, like, you know, that that is the right thing to do. Um, I wanted to ask my therapist about this, uh, and I just ran out of time in my last therapy session, apparently. Uh, but I wrote it down so that I will ask it again. But I would have, I mean... This is this kind of goes to that, you know, if your friend is having an affair or your friend's spouse is having an affair, do you tell the friend? And I've always taken the, the position that I'm probably going to lose a friend either way, but that it's about safety because if they were to contract something, I would never forgive myself. So I'd be without a friend, but maybe they'd be healthier. It's just tough. So that's super interesting. Our school counselor... Um, who's a dear friend of mine mm-hmm. will, when it, when a kid comes to her with, cause you know, in middle school, they're just all over the place with their thoughts sure. and, and, and what they're dealing with. And, um, when a kid comes to her and expresses concern about a friend possibly self-harming or doing yeah. unsafe, she says like, like if the if she says you know well I need to you know, contact the parent or whatever the student will always be like well I don't want my friend to get mad at me and she, her line her tagline as long as I've known her has been a mad friend's better than a dead friend yeah. so I feel like that's kind of along those same lines like somebody's safety is is more important than you selfishly having them as a friend I guess right. And, and so I'll be interested to report back in our in our corners of things that I missed um, what what that what that looks like. So I'll be asking my therapist about that. Um, but but we're back with Gabrielle. Uh, Gabrielle attempts to buy Ashley's silence with a doll, and I think that that's really telling because I'm guessing Gabrielle was thinking, okay, what would have shut me up? What would have you know? What what would I have wanted? What gift would I want? Mm-hmm. But like you said. Ashley's just a much, you know, just a, a totally different person than Gabrielle. So trying to, you know, she was trying to relate what what I want as as opposed to what Ashley wants. And this isn't what Ashley wants. She doesn't care about that doll. No, she wants a bike. And she it, the, let the blackmail begin. And I thought it was really interesting. She's, like, coloring really hard with sidewalk chalk. She's aggressive. Yeah, like that. Oh, man, if you have one false move with that sidewalk chalk going like that, you're going to scrape your knuckles on that blacktop. That's exactly what I was thinking. I was like, man, that hurts me to watch it. Yes. And then Gabby says something about, are those flamingos? Oh, there's, and she's like, no. And then Gabby says that they're, they look like they're kissing and sometimes mm-hmm. people kiss. 
kissing isn't just for, you know, moms and dads. Sometimes it's, we kiss our friends. Like she's trying to rationalize what this child saw in a super. It feels very gaslighty. Like it feels, I mean. What you think you saw. It's okay to kiss whoever you want. Definitely. Here's a doll. Definitely kiss the doll. Um, But yeah, what Ashley really wants is a bike. And and Gabby's like, oh, here we go. Um, I have a fashion check-in. I feel like no one ever has bra straps showing um, or it looks like they're adjusting a bra. And I'm just, I'm just jealous. Like everybody looks like everything because it was right. All of the clothes they're wearing were literally tailored to them. Mm -hmm. And I'm just really jealous, especially the things like Gabby wears. I'm like, man, that just would not work. Mm -mm. (laughs) Yeah. You had that super cute little very 90s like cami cami silky negligee looking top yes so thanks for going down that one with me um in the mystery watch right okay i just want all of their cast offs i don't know what i will do with them they're not going to be my size but i just want them um over at mary alice's house paul says that he kept her gun because they might need it for protection um, and meanwhile, Bree comes to invite Zach and Paul to her dinner party, and it's a nice thought, but it would have been kind of weird to be all adults and Zach, right? Um, agree. I can agree okay. with that. But I did like when Bree was walking away and Zach thanked her for thinking of his mom. I thought that yeah. was a really nice moment for him after the dad, after Paul Young was so like, well, we're not doing an obituary and, and basically just almost trying to villainize Mary Alice. I thought that was nice for Zach to see that uh, not everybody was processing it the same way as his father. And that maybe there's somebody in the neighborhood that he can go to to remember her with, because it's Mm -hmm. certainly not going to be a a time that he spends with his father or remembers her with his father, at least not where he is right now. So there is somebody who will um, be able to remember her with him right now. So I think that was really important too. I agree with you. And then did Paul drug his son? Looks like it. That night, Paul gave his son something to calm his nerves. What are we talking? I'm not, and again, I'm not stigmatizing the use of medication. Uh, When you use it, when you use it because you don't want to have conversations with your child. Right. Let's do stigmatize that. Obviously, I would have assumed like Valium or Klonopin or something. And how would he have administered it to him? I, that, that, that's more my concern. Did you roofie did he, your like, kid? Did he some peanut butter, like when you try to give medicine to your dog? Or did he, did they have a conversation about it? Did he grind it up and make him some pudding with some, you know, whatever in it? It just was, I, I don't believe they were talking about like giving him melatonin or something that was, you know. No, I do not think so. I do not think so either. And I, I, would hope that he was conscious to take whatever it was that he took um, and aware that he was taking something. But I, you know, I just don't trust Paul. So no, I think he could very well have peanut butter roofied him. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, back, uh, uh, back over in blackmail corner. Mm-hmm. Um, Ashley needs somebody. She got the bike. Ashley wants the bike. She got the bike, but now she needs somebody to teach her how to ride the bike. Yeah. And Gabby is well, well-dressed for the occasion in her, you know, heels. heels. Um, also, I thought it was pretty interesting to see her pull the bike out of the trunk of the um, new convertible. Very, like, Mary Poppins purse style. Yes! Like, I, and who put that 
in there for her because I know she did it like she she manhandles it like she knows what she's doing but at the same time the whole time I'm watching that that spider just think to myself that Maserati's about to get nice and scuffed well and that's not a big car and I will tell you we have a convertible that when the top is down you can't fit we we drove to Lake Geneva because my husband wanted to get some um, spotted cow beer mm-hmm. only get in Wisconsin. Sure. He couldn't fit a 24. Like he couldn't. Oh my gosh. In the back of our car. And maybe there's a little bigger, but like not bigger to the point where you can fit an entire bike in it. So this was not an SU. This was an SUV purchase. This is something that you have to put into an SUV. And Gabby just, I mean, she, again, she handles it like she knows what she's doing, but um, that. That's something I wouldn't know from not having a sports car. So thank you for sharing that, Amanda. I would have never known it, and we didn't know until we carried the case of beer out to our car. How did you get the beer home? I gotta know. How, so how did the beer get home? We went back inside to. The, it's this little shop that we always stop at on our way up to Lake Geneva that has really good ice cream, and it's like a farm. It's like a feed store, but like okay, we have no reason to be in a feed store, but they have good ice cream, <laughs> and it's a good place to get spotted cow. So anyway, we, he had the case. He actually asked them. He said, can I, I'm not sure if this is going to fit. Can I take this case and see if it will fit in my car before I purchase it? Genius. Yeah. And they were like, do whatever you want. Oh my gosh. Like, no, it doesn't fit. So then he took two 12 packs out and that fit. So we ended up having to pay like $5 more for the same amount of beer broken into two cases instead of one big case. But we still came home with 24 bottles, and all is right in the world. So we know that this is not a marketing scheme. You actually do benefit from getting the 24-pack instead of 212-pack. Good good to know. Got to remember yeah. that. When you do the math, it works out better to get the case. I know. Who better to know about doing the math than you, Miss Manda? So. Makes perfect sense. Um, I, I have not, okay, I will admit, I have not taught a child yet how to ride a bike. We were supposed to teach my daughter how to ride a bike last year when she was six, um, but COVID was happening, so her pediatrician actually did recommend that if you could not fill the, the ER with broken arms, that that would be, yeah, that that would be something that they would recommend. At the same time, many- foreshadowing? Was that some foreshadowing on your pediatrician's part? You know, wouldn't you think, because if you've uh, followed my journey uh, thus far, um, my daughter just got out of a cast, but it wasn't from teaching her how to ride a bike. She fell off of her scooter. Um, So this year, we're not, she's seven, and we're still not teaching her how to ride a bike, and I feel very, very badly for it. Maybe I'll change my mind. It's only it's only July, but but I just don't, I just don't know that I could do another cast. She's now had uh, two surgeries in the last three years. I'm not interested. She's only seven. I, I just don't want to do it. I just, I, if I can avoid it, I will. But Gabby, again, I this sets up an unrealistic expectation, and I am on a soapbox about it. Gabby teaches her to ride in less than one day, and nobody has any scratches. No, no, no. Impossible. Plot hole. Serious plot hole. Well, in a, in a better plot hole, she's also homeschooled, and I don't understand why somebody hasn't taught her how to ride a bike, but that might be parent-shaming. That's That might be on me. Um, but she has plenty of time to learn how to ride a bike. I love that she says, I'm always around. I'm homeschooled. I'm always around. So live in fear, Gabby. Right. right. Let the blackmail continue. 
So we're gonna uh, we're gonna like go back over to Susan's house. You know she's not she's not happy about the interaction that she had with Carl, even if it was even if it was warranted. So she's looking at a photo album and she sees that she cut or colored Carl out of all of her family photos, and it's making her feel some type of way about herself, not just about yeah Carl sucks and he did something bad and and this is my way of getting back at him. But it, she doesn't like how it's making her feel. So she calls Carl, leaves a message to talk with him. And we can't wait to see how that turns out. Yeah. Yeah. I would have probably not made that call. I would have I would have waited on that one, but whatever, Susan. I'm not bad for I'm not bad for when, you know, people come and go in our lives. I don't usually um, change out the photos in my home or, or something like that. There's people that were, you know, in your wedding maybe and now you don't talk as much or maybe you've had a falling out. You know, it was just, it's all time, it, I think it's all time-centric. Um, so I probably wouldn't have done all the work, but she is an artist and they live by different rules. And she's angry. Like, yes, yeah, betrayed. It's not in your life anymore. It's somebody who seriously wronged you like I get I get that I get that and you'll have to continue to have this person in your life because you share a child with them yeah, yeah. so it just maybe that you know I'll, I'll, I wish she would have more gentility for herself about how it's making her feel about herself as opposed to yeah I was I, I was wronged and it's okay for me to react emotionally I don't always have to be in the the thinking quadrant of my brain. Um, Lynette's going to this, Lynette's going to this damn dinner party. She's she's excited. She's giving uh, instructions to Tom. How uh, how do how do you take in that stimulus? Um, I'm just watching Tom not be able to open a, a container of mandarin oranges, and to start that whole thing off. And I was like, wasn't that when it? Yeah. It, well, it's not rocket science. Uh, <laughs> and can't can't. Like, okay, Tom. Good luck. I just, I love that Lynette um, gives some cookies to the kids and tries to get them all on a sugar high for Tom. Yes, it, because you know what would happen inevitably is the one time that Tom is alone with his children, that they would be well behaved and not do anything wrong. That would literally happen. Right, 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 for sure. So, and so, set them up. Sure that, that didn't happen. Good for you know what, and I can't wait to see the I can't wait to see how clean the house is when she gets home because Tom will just show her that this is all completely manageable and you've been complaining for no reason. Right, right, right. Totally easy. So Carl shows up. Oh yay! Susan's not ready for him um, because she's in her towel, of course. Because why wouldn't we always have Susan be in some sort of embarrassing situation? Um. I want to come down to the, you know what, you can freaking wait there. I guess maybe he would have let himself in with a key or, you know, he's just, he has no boundaries anyway, but I wouldn't come down in my towel anyway. Yeah. You'll be yeah. waiting. So you have some interesting notes in here. Tell us about this iconic scene. So this is an iconic scene and I think it's, gratu I think it's gratuitous. I think Terry Hatcher has a lot more uh, value to, to give to the world in terms of her acting that it didn't have to be as sensationalized as it was, but some of the, you know, this is only the third episode and we're talking 2004. We're still trying to get people in, in under the tent, right? And so the, I feel like I saw this promo 
any time Desperate Housewives was ever mentioned for the rest of my life, you would always see this iconic scene where Susan is asking him for an apology for the way that they, you know, that he ended their marriage inside the house where it's nice and safe. And he just, he goes out and, you know what, if you want to be that way, you need to go seek therapy. Again, stigmatizing therapy, problematic. And she chases after him and says, you're the jerk, you're the bad guy, I can hold my head up high. Um, and unfortunately, she slams the door on her towel, and the towel. And when he drives away, the towel goes with it. And I just, yeah, that's exactly what it would be. But and, and again, it's is it a funny moment? And are we going to be able to get some good some good mic stuff out of it in just a second? Absolutely. But just for the moment, if we could just think about that, two thousand four was such a time that you know what? Look at this prime time. You know, it's on it's on in prime time, and she's completely naked. And I just think about um, that. I feel like I saw that promo everywhere for the rest of my life when it came to Desperate Housewives. In in and then uh, reading about it, I did a little bit of a deep dive on this one. That Terry Hatcher was actually really worried about filming this scene with people that she's going to work with potentially for a very very long time. Everybody's going to see her naked. Think about the you know number of people that maybe you're comfortable seeing you naked, and she's going to have a lot of people seeing her naked, not just you know right. on. The, television but here in it, live and in person so I guess she came to set and just you know dropped everything and said let's all look at it real quick because we're going to be doing this all day Ugh. and she tried so to angry. yeah and she tried, tried to like desensitize herself to it um and I, I I enjoyed reading about that but back to the scene itself um back to the scene itself she's now naked in the middle of the in the middle of the street trying to get back to her house of course she locked herself out she's gonna try to break in and fall into the rose bushes but thank god she has a large topiary on her front porch <laughs> yes it is it is exactly it is portioned exactly to the size of her what 10 body. ounce body yeah. um that she can co- that she can cover herself with it, which is perfect. But who finds her? Mike. Of course, Mike finds her. I just love that she's like laying there in the bushes, like. And when he's like, "It's what's the dress code? Is it casual?" I love it. <laughs> that was clever. That was very clever. I loved. I love it. And of course, Mike's going to be able to help her um, figure figure all of this out. It's going to it's going to be just it's going to be just fine. She thinks that she couldn't be more humiliated than she than Mike shows up and oh, she is. But at the same time, no, he's he's going to help and everything's going to be fine. Um, and he'll get a couple good jokes on it later because as they uh, he says yes to the dinner invitation. I mean, you didn't have to get naked for it or anything, Susan. Right. Like he would have said yes anyway. Um, but, but when they show up, uh, and, um, Brie comes to the door and it's, oh, Susan had a hard time finding something to wear. I loved that. I loved it. But I liked that the way that he delivered that was still like gentle and kind. You know what I mean? I Mm -hmm. I feel like in a new relationship, you have to be really careful about how you poke fun. Sure. Part of my sense of humor, but it's always important to me to deliver it in a way that is like inclusive like calling somebody in not like calling somebody out and i feel like i feel like his delivery of it was okay that this is a special inside joke that we share together um yes but you're you're absolutely right it was completely gentle and you know i think he would have been able to pick up on if she never wanted to talk about this ever again i like that you know we didn't talk about this during the kick the can 
uh, scene, but, you know, Mike was kind of in that scene, too, and at the very end, he gets the last line, the funny, you know, he gets the funny punchline, like, do you want me to pick up the can, or maybe that's not something that we should joke about later, but we've got, you know, we've got plenty more material, because Susan will always find an adorable and, uh, um, un yeah, ridiculous, uncoordinated way uh, to give us more material, so that's great. Uh, and now we're at the dinner party. And it just turns real weird real quick. <laughs> well, um, it, I mean, before this, he's already been warned. Rex has already been warned. We're not talking about the marriage, about marriage counseling. And therefore, you're not going to, yes, you can't have a drink because then you get chatty and then you'll tell somebody about our marriage counseling. So not a drop. And then Carlos. He's very excited. He's, uh, hey, I heard you're taking tennis lessons. Help me out. Help me out. And Rex is so quick. Like, it didn't It didn't take but a minute for him to say, yeah, we're in counseling, which, good for him. I mean, you know, that's that's a good thing to model for people around you. That's not, that's not something bad. Here's where I'm going to go with that is that, yes, it's a good thing to model for people. I am very open with with my relationship with therapy. I don't ever plan on stopping. It's not something that is, it, it's about growth for me. It's not that I'm necessarily dealing with a problem, but I have a problem every other week, doesn't everybody? Um, but, it, so it's not that I have a problem with the fact that uh, Rex divulges this, and it, and if it were mod if it were that he was positively modeling it, it just feels that he's betraying a confidence with his partner, and that's the part that I that I, I think there was a better way to do that. Right. First of all, he could have said to Brie, "No, if you want to do if you want to do counseling, it's not good for me to be dishonest about what we're doing." So I think we we face it head on. But I think one, he's reluctant to do it anyway. He I don't really think he's as invested in in the marriage as as Brie is. So it didn't matter to him. But did he also the way that you said like it was betraying a confidence? Did he agree to her? Like no, that's the thing. It's not correct. It's like a like a pact between two people that was him not being it was more like him not being compliant correct and 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 i wonder why he doesn't just say no i'm not going to be compliant or i'm not going to hide this from other people i'm not going to say that we're taking tennis lessons except that you're not as invested or you're not willing to con have this conversation with her you obviously don't care necessarily that she's upset about something why not just go for it? Like, no, I'm not going to lie about about this. If you want me to go to counseling, fine. But I'm going to be. I'm. If anybody asks, or I'm going to tell anybody I want. Yeah. So I I won't have as much um, sympathy later on when she betrays a confidence of his. Um, and yeah. because because it really does feel like he's trying to get a stab in at her in this moment because it's not. You know what? It's it's a farce. It's a lie. We were embarrassed that we're in counseling. It wasn't that. It was, yeah, we're in counseling. Hear that, Brie? I told everybody. And look, the world is still here. It really feels like he's trying, he is intentionally trying to be cruel. Yeah, he's pushing her buttons. For sure. I agree with that. Um, so I said in my notes that Rex, you're being an unimaginable asparagus instead of calling him something more explicit, that it was it was hard for me um, that, that they should have had the right to this privacy and, and if she wanted to keep it private. But... Nonetheless, we we move forward and back at Mystery Watch with we'll, we'll come back to the party, but Mystery Watch, 
Um, yeah, Paul gave his kid that sedative or whatever it is that he gave him, and something's on the TV that is indicative of the situation they're in. Ironic! happened anyway. Like, why are you going to throw your crate of human remains into a public place? Seriously, Paul, Amanda told you not to do it. Did. I did right away. Like, leave it under the cement. And Rachel told you a pool is entirely too expensive to be farting around with over here. In the middle of the night. He does his best loud work in the middle of the night, by the way. So a grizzly discovery was made today um, when a chest was found in Rockwater Lake by a local businessman and his grandson while they were fishing. What a crap day of fishing. Yeah, gross. You ruined somebody else's day, Paul. Right. Um, Investigators recovered a wooden chest. A police uh, spokesman says the body was, and then Paul turns off the TV and walks in the other room with Zach opening his eyes. Most likely he heard all of that. Yes. Yes, yes. And of course it's the chest that Paul threw into the water containing what appeared to be human remains. I mean, it's quiet as a tomb at the, it's just so tough. It's so tough. That Amanda told you not to do this, and you didn't listen. Could have done better. But so let's go back to the super fun. (laughs) Yes. Where it doesn't seem like people that are, you know, buddies in their neighborhood. I know that when my neighborhood gets together, it's a lot more loud than that. Yeah, so much crosstalk. Nobody wants to sit down because everybody wants to talk to everybody. So this is kind of an interesting situation. So Susan decides to... Let everybody know about the naked incident to break the ice. She's self-deprecating. Like, she's she's just like, yeah, this happened. I could so see that about you, though, Amanda. I feel like if it was quiet as a tomb at this dinner party, you'd be like, so this thing happened to me, and just try to give get rid of that discomfort. Do you, do you agree? Have I, have, I, have I pegged you right? Um, probably. I probably would try to say something funny, although it depends on who's there. If okay. it's people that I'm not comfortable with, I would mm. do my whole fading back into the woodwork. But if it were my people, I would I would say something. I would say I would make a joke about it being so quiet. And I'm wondering, and 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 again, I feel like for Susan, it's like everybody can laugh at me because not necessarily, you know, I haven't seen her grow into confidence or something like that. It's getting better, but she's just like. Whatever, once you're naked in the middle of the street, what else is there? Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, everybody will feel better, and I, I can and I can handle that this is going to happen. So, we, yeah, we, so we're learning a couple of things. One, you know, Susan's okay with telling them, hey, Mike found me and uh, naked and helped me break back into my house. And he's like, you know, right place, right time. So he's uh, totally fun and, and gentlemanly about it, I guess. Yes. What are some other, uh, what are some of the other, like, you know, this, this, this quickly becomes the one-upper, but I wasn't put off by it at all. Right. It, um, the Scavos getting kicked out of Mr. Toad's wild ride and perp march down Main Street in Disneyland. I've been on that ride. And I and me too. I don't see that as being a spot where you would do that. So, so I have. I have all sorts of questions about that. Correct. I, at first, I, I don't find it to be, yeah, I wouldn't have found that to be a particularly romantic scene. Second, it, now she says when they were first married. So first married for, you know, it, is kind of a, 
you know, innocu or like a nebulous term. So I don't know what it means to be first married. I would say first married is like the first year of my marriage, but, but for other people, maybe that's something different. But I, they're at Disney World or Disneyland without children or because they had kids early in their marriage, but I think they were married first. Did they not have any time together? And if they did, they went to Disney World with it. And again, not judging, but really? There are people where that's their thing. My okay. his fiance just went. They were in Florida for something else and they went, but I I have zero interest in being at either park inside the park without kids because it's all kids that are there. And and I just, I don't know if it, and that's, it's totally fine if that is someone's thing. Um, I can think, I can think of a few people in my family who, who that would be a thing for. Like, they would love to go to Disney World without any kids because kids are what get in the way of you having a good time. Um, and, and I can see that for them. But I don't see it for Lynette and Tom. I see them on beaches in Barbados. They're, it just didn't seem, it didn't seem to track. That's a good point, especially when you consider that, like, Lynette was, high, like, the high-powered businesswoman. Mm-hmm. That's just, yeah, agree. I just see them somewhere else. And I see him at his sombrero parties in Vegas. And I see I see other things for them that could be super fun. That, that one was weird for me. Um, I like Carlos and uh, Gabby having this moment where, it, like, I could see them being fun. Because I haven't seen them being fun together. So um, what was that moment for, for you? That was um, they, punct they punctured a waterbed with some spike heels. I have so many questions. I... I had a waterbed when I was in high school, and I just don't see it to be a place where you would want to go near it with anything that was spike-shaped. I can't see, and you know, it, it was more like, it wasn't a thing. I didn't have one. My sister had one, and I've never asked her this because we're just, we just don't talk about these things, but I'm like, I don't know how to be romantic on a waterbed. In a wave pool. There's so much work. It's a lot of work to even just sit on a waterbed. Yeah, you can't sit on it. You just sleep on it. That You can't watch TV on it. Like, I love my bed because you can, like, play a board game on it. And you can watch Desperate Housewives on it. Right. But Are I don't feel it. Thing? Like, do people still have them? I really do not know. I guess we'll have to do a deep dive. Yeah. Wow. I have, I, I've never thought about it. Listener, if you have a waterbed, <laughs> let us know. Both of our listeners, all two of you, please let us know. We'll have a 50-50. Um, yes, that, that Carlos had a thing for spiked heels. Gabby wants to, or he wants everyone to know that Gabby was the one wearing them yeah. um, when they when they broke a waterbed, and that would be really really embarrassing. Um, did I get did I get everybody before yes. before Brie? Yes. So again. The marital confidence, and I would feel the same way for Rex, that this might have been a marital confidence he would prefer she did not share. Yeah. This is retaliatory, for sure. Yes. Yes. Um, and I don't even know how to say it. Are you going to say it, or am I going to say it? I feel like you're going to say it. Darn it. Okay, because actually this word in particular, we had an Edgar Allan Poe story when I taught uh, ninth grade English, and I would purposely stop the audiobook right before this word and do a recap, and then when I started it again, it would, yeah, it would write over the word and I didn't have to deal with it. I'd have a couple students that were like, hey, look at this word, um, but because it was the, the uh, medical term, um, some of them were like, forget it. Um, it's not, it's not as much fun when it was a medical term, but so, uh, Brie decides that this would be the right time for her one-upper, which is that Rex cries after he ejaculates. 
I just think that Brie will take any possible opportunity to emasculate her husband. It's very fair. It couldn't be more fair to say that. Yeah. And this won't be the last time in this episode she does it, but um, yeah, that that's that makes me uncomfortable. Like, I would have been yes. uncomfortable with that whole conversation yes. in Nick's company like that. Like, there have been times with with just, like, a group of girlfriends where, like, nothing nothing that's, like, that explicit or that specific is ever talked about. But, like, oh, like, I, to- I told a story about one time getting caught kissing a boy on a like sitting on an electrical box when my mom was driving home from school or whatever, or my mom was driving home. I was walking home from school and my mom drove past in the van and like slammed on the brakes and like screeched reverse back. Oh my gosh. I know. Yeah. Super great. And I, you know, whatever. (sighs) Slides open the door and get in the van. Oh no. Fantastic. But like anything that's like within this current time, like you, you just, I don't know. I, I'm not somebody who is who's comfortable sharing those types of stories, and even worse in a situation where you're sitting there with your your people and their partners like that. That just that whole scene for me would have been mortifying. But but Brie really took the cake with her sharing. I, thought. I mean, evidence of the the meme that escalated quick, quickly. Quickly, yeah. <laughs> Truly, yeah. that was a hold my beer. Oh, yes, yes, and and it's awkward, again, and Rex leaves, and I can't, I do not blame him. I wouldn't have wanted to leave, and I, oh. I wasn't the subject of any of it. Uh, which is fun for the, you know, everybody leaving the house, like, you know, decompressing and processing what just happened, and, you know, Susan says to Mike, you think, or did Mike say to Susan, did we leave too early? And she said, I think we might have left too late. Too late, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um... When everybody, as everybody's going home and talking about what, you know, what happened, Lynette gets home and we learn that Tom knows she gave them the cookies. Dang it! Because they squealed. And, and, you know, she's like, oh, shucks. Um, But Tom, but as she's relating the story to Tom, you know, Tom says that he's not surprised. He never got the idea that they were happy. And Lynette said, are we happy? And it just broke my heart. Yeah. She's, we can tell she's not happy. Yeah. So I think that that will have some interesting development in that story, if I remember correctly. I don't. I. It sure does. Yeah. It sure will, and it will for, for throughout. I think that, that that finding your rhythm as a couple, and and that you know our relationship is a living, breathing, organic, you know, organism all of its own, made up of two people who are also changing and moving and growing, and, and so experiencing the world and experiencing highs and lows, and how does your like it's not just finding your rhythm it's finding it and keeping it when the music changes literally yes yes the the music continues to change like oh we 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 totally we've totally got 2021 and now it's 2024 like we're not the same people yeah gosh gosh help us we're not in the same world right right gabby and carlos and carlos basically is like well that would be the She'd never do that again if that was my wife. Like, what does that mean? Like, yeah. Like, what are we talking here, Carlos? How what? How are you gonna ensure that that doesn't happen again? And we've seen him be aggressive with Gabby before, and we'll see mm-hmm. it. We'll see it again in some more problematic places. 
and Gabby looks genuinely fearful. She looks mm-hmm. genuinely terrified. Um, and Carlos just some 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 tough some tough beats here that he'd probably cry too if he had to have sex with Bree. And it's like you know that that tough. Okay, he's in the privacy of his own home, but but tough. Right. And that he, I, I don't know that he so much is like, nobody could ever humiliate me and I would never, but it was a really about a woman humiliating him would be, that it would just, it would only happen once. His machismo is next level. Yes, absolutely. And again, looking at it, it's a 2004 topic that we're talking about in 2021 and it doesn't, it, it you know, it, it was worth commenting then and it's worth commenting now. And the, the bigger fallout is back at Rex and Bree's house where she's packing Rex's suitcase for him. And putting his swimsuit in because it relaxes him. Like, let him pack his own suitcase. Just leave him alone. Walk away. And, leave him alone. And she says and he's and he's and she says, Why is this happening? And Rex says, Because you can't even let me pack my own suitcase. She doesn't trust anybody around her to yeah. manage anything. That is absolutely true, and it must be exhausting. Yeah, I agree. Um, back to back to Susan, Brandy, and Carl, the love triangle mm-hmm. <laughs> of sorts. I liked Brandy. I liked when she yes, when she just says she's sorry. You know, I thought that was nice. It's so it's so easy to make her a villain right but Carl's enough of a villain for everybody so you know that Susan says I really needed that apology because that that was that that was the whole thing is that she wanted an apology from Carl for the way he ended their marriage and he's not interested you know water's under the bridge and can't you just get over things so when Susan gets into the car with Brandy and Carl and Susan apologizes to Brandy and says you know I I, that was ridiculous I shouldn't have done that and and to both of you I'm moving on with or without an apology um and Brandy apologizes to her I did I have the Susan catch with the the Susan Meyer versus Susan Mayer remember back from the pilot it was Susan Mayer and we've heard her also referred to as Susan Meyer Carl Meyer and in this one Brandy calls her Mrs. Mayer oh and so get your boyfriend's last name right Brandy and I, I think that was a writing issue too I'm not sure why I can't I, I can't I can never find anything conclusive about the pronunciation discrepancy but I think this might be the last time that we will hear it as mayor okay I think it might be um, and, and yes, you're right. That was a very, that was a very touching moment and it was satisfying for Susan. Susan was satisfied with that apology, even though it came from a, an unlikely place. Sometimes you just need to be heard and seen. And I feel like Susan finally, finally got a little bit of that. Wow. That was an excellent segue about being heard and seen because Lynette's going to be heard and seen back at her house. Yes. It's a frat party back at her house in her honor. And just the two of them at the frat party, he, yeah. he, he set the kids up to watch Finding Nemo. They have 45 minutes before Nemo is found. Um, and he ha- Tom has on his sombrero and has a margarita ready for Lynette. And, and he has heard her. And she tells him he looks ridiculous. And he kind of pleads with her, like, please help, help me try to make this right. Which I felt for him in that moment. I and I also feel like He's got a lot of layers to peel back before she's ready to just, you know, give give herself back to him, I think, mentally. 
And both of those work, right? Because he says, I'm trying here. She takes off the glasses. Okay, I'm engaged. I can I can engage with you on this. This is fine. Yeah. And then at the same time, you know it's going to take more than this, right? Like right. this isn't going to be enough. It's a good start. Yes, and I appreciated it. Um, Brie needs to see her therapist right away. Her husband has left her. Um, so Brie goes to, to Dr. Goldfine's office to tell him that Rex has moved out. And he tells her, you know, I can't talk, but she begs, if you could just tell me what he told you, then I could fix the problem. And I feel, I, I feel for her there, is that if you could just tell me what it is, I can fix it. I can check the box. I can cross it off the list. And it's so much more complicated than that. But also, she needed to be listening because he did not do a great job by any stretch of the imagination. But if you look back, if you scroll back through the last three episodes, he did try to tell her mm-hmm. things that weren't working. So she just doesn't see that she's done anything wrong, I think. And, and, it, and like, it's going to take this. This is the bottom, right? If, if we're going to fix anything, maybe it's going to take this trauma to do it. Right, right. I, I feel for both of them in that scenario, but I think that until Bree's willing to, like, do a little bit of self-reflection, she's not going to find out what it was and she's going to assume that it's some outside thing like he cheated on her or mm-hmm. that it's that it's him which obviously they're both at fault yeah this is a relationship not a barney the rod barney the dinosaur cartoon you know it's the, that that we both have we both have faults um and they're never willing to admit that at the same time no no i don't know if Bree's ready to i don't know if Bree's admitted it at all yet no I don't think so either but the fact that she's saying just tell me what I did so I can fix it she she I think in her heart wants to but I don't know that she's capable of saying of of looking at something that she did and realizing that it was wrong because she's put so much time and calculation into everything she does I think that she very much feels like she's in the right for the choices she's making I agree I agree um and at the same time something else to ask my therapist about um you know, when he says, I can't talk to you right now, you know, I have somebody else, I'm fully booked, and and she's like, I really need this, and he said, okay, I'll go talk to my client, and leaves her alone with all of the, with all of the tapes that he's apparently putting back, um, because he records his sessions, I've got to ask my therapist about this, because I have to imagine that there are rules about protocol, because I know even for student records, right, I know for, for having student grades and student um, identifying information, something that is more than two directory things that I could find out about a student, have, making sure that those are secure, those files are secure. I have to imagine my therapist has to be more protective of this information that is out there. So again, a reason to diversify your writing room, especially when you're, when you're writing about specific things like that, like maybe pull a therapist in for that. Scene. A technical advisor, one episode. What do you think? Um, so, so while Dr. Goldfine goes out to ask his next client to wait, Bree spots the tapes of sessions and she's looking for Rex's audio tape. She's, she's absolutely going to take it. Yes. But instead she takes Mary Alice Young's. She finds one that has Mary Alice Young's name on it, and she just, you know, it, it, it's... Put it in your purse. It's like, choreographed so 
interestingly, I want to know how many takes it took, but yeah, here's Rex's, but here's Mary Alice's, why can't I take both? It's, it's, it's happening so quick, it, it makes me, it gives me anxiety, like, to think about having it and then putting it under my arm and, like, hopefully he's not going to touch me. Put it in your purse, you're wearing a purse, put it in your purse, like. It all happened so fast. <laughs> Um, but she, she, you know, Dr. Goldman comes back in and says, you know, I can't see you. I promise I'll see you at eight o'clock tomorrow morning. She's like, yeah, eight o'clock tomorrow morning. Sorry to bother you. Bye. Do you think she'll remember to show up the next day? Absolutely. She will. She has never forgotten anything in her entire life except for onions on the salad. Right. One time. <laughs> One time. Um, and Mary Alice leads us out, right, with her beautiful, her beautiful narration. I will say that I didn't think that this narration, the frame, I didn't think it was perfect in terms of frame because they start by talking about like the only thing she takes back with her is her memory and it kind of devolves into that fear is where we where we come back so I think they could have made that a little tighter but it's okay um she says she remembers the world and every detail and how afraid she was and that that was a waste and that is really that was that was that was impactful and I needed to slow down in that moment when she said, you see, to live in fear is not to live at all. And I think yeah. particularly in some of the times that we're living in right now, it can be it can be easy to forget that we're not living. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And we end with this really loud, loud noise. And mm. like, like heave and sledgehammer a for sale sign into the ground. Which and... And as Mariella says, because some people will, um, yes, some people will face their problems and some people, or their fears, their problems, and some will run away. And there you are with Paul. Why are we doing this in the middle of the night? Ding, ding, ding. Amanda has, uh, Amanda has told you a thousand times. Why are these noisy things you do always in the middle of the night? Do it during the day when people are mowing their lawn or at work or whatever. At work! At work, for goodness sake! Come on. We have a person on our street that, like, this summer, he's mowed his lawn pretty late a couple times. Okay. And I hear it. I'm, like, pulling open the blinds, like, what's going on out there? Like, but in the middle of the day, hammer away. Do whatever you're doing. But I feel like those middle-of-the-night loud things, everybody needs to know what's going on. And it's, like scandalous no matter what it is like why is he why is he mowing the lawn in the middle of the night what's going on why is he hammering something into the ground in the middle of the night or breaking up his pool in the middle of the night like just it's a good way to it's a good way to draw a lot of unwanted attention well we'll pick it back up uh with that intrigue about why are you moving uh in next week's episode which is who's that woman who's that woman perfectly perfect title for that um until then i'm rachel and i'm amanda and thank you for listening to uh, noisy fulfillment noisy fulfillment <laughs>